Today's show is brought to you in partnership with GiveSum. GiveSum is a platform that got on my radar last year. I've been watching with anticipation as they built out their solution. What they have built is brilliant. It's an online platform that allows companies who are already giving to seamlessly engage their employees in the experience by allowing them to choose the causes that matter most to them and choosing where the funds are donated. As my listeners know, I believe that corporate giving needs to be a table stakes when it comes to how we as leaders run our companies. And I also know that sometimes those donations and acts of support don't always connect to the people on our teams. GiveSum solves that problem by creating a bridge where you as a leader can now allow your team to select the causes and charities that matter most to them, and then through the platform itself, receive direct feedback on the impact of those funds. Gone is the need for the once a year town hall or a company-wide email to share the, what causes the org supported last year. GiveSum allows your team to pick the charities and get direct feedback on the impact the dollars had. One of the best parts, GiveSum does not take a percentage of the donation. 100% of the dollars donated go directly to the charity and to the people who need it the most. GiveSum works with your company and for a set fee, they administer the entire process. If you're already giving, which statistically speaking, you most likely are, visit GiveSum.com and find out how you can get your entire company involved in making a difference for the people who need it most. Hello and a warm collisions YYC. Welcome to my guest this morning, Mr. Scott Tillema. How are you, Scott? Hey, Tyler. What's going on? How are you? I'm all good, man. So good to have you on the show. I was joking before I went on the air, but I'm going to use this joke again. It's rare that I get to have a guest on that I can watch their TED Talk before I get to talk to them on the show. So I'm going to I'm going to lift your celebrity up a little bit here and throw the TED word around a little bit on on our on our podcast this yes. morning. <laughs> I love it. Thanks for watching and uh you know, it was a cool opportunity to be invited to share my message on a stage like that. Were you a TED fan before? And this isn't about you doing a TED Talk. I want my audience to be clear. We're going to get into this quickly. But was that was that a bit of an aspiration or like I know people that like that's their dream is to do a TED Talk. <laughs> It is. And for me, I have the complete backwards uh, <laughs> journey as a speaker where I didn't apply to do this. I didn't try out. I didn't um, audition nothing. They came to me and said, hey, we want you to share your message on this stage. So it was actually only seven weeks before the event. So while most professional speakers, they build to this years and years, they plan, they structure this out. Uh, I was not a speaker. This was one of my very first events speaking. I love it. <laughs> so truly, you have the raw uh, <laughs> amateur speaker from stage. But at its core, we all have a message, right? We have a message that we believe in. And I did. I worked in hostage negotiation for many years. And I knew that there's a formula to connect with people. And I said, I'm just going to share what I believe. And it was authentic. It was stories true to me. And uh, in seven weeks, we put it together, and uh, and it's out there now. <laughs> it's incredibly well done. What well, we've got, uh, uh, we through twenty five mil. What are my views here? Where am I looking? Anyways, it's done exceptionally well, I believe, and I know I've certainly done my best to share it and add some add some views to the pile. A, a quick backstory, because I love to give everyone a little bit of history, one degree of separation. I had the privilege, and it's episode three thirty seven. If anyone hasn't listened to it, to meet the lovely and talented Miss Joanna Shea. My wife was at a um, at a conference, and Joanna spoke. They hit it off. I ended up meeting Joanna, having her on to talk about negotiations, the Negotiations Collective, which is the business I know you partnered in with Joanna. Mm-hmm. So let's give the audience. I'm a marketing guy. I love a little bit of a plug. So let's jump in the elevator. What's the Negotiations Collective all about? What do you guys do? What problem do you solve in the world? And then let's get into the subject matter here. Mm-hmm. We teach people how to get what they want, how to get more of what they want. We teach negotiations and conflict resolution. And for leaders, I firmly believe that conflict resolution is a critical skill for them to find success. But at the core of both of those things is influence. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes leaders are pulling influence from their position, not necessarily from their skill and ability. So we teach people how to negotiate, and that could be sales, that could be marketing, that could be customer service. We teach conflict resolution. Every agency, organization, business says, hey, we need these skills to manage the internal problems that we have. But what I love doing is teaching leaders how to influence using the same principles and skills that I've used in life or death negotiations. And uh, it's cool when you have a team because Joanna comes from a different background. She comes from energy sector. Uh, We've got a couple others that we work with and we bring all these pieces in and we think we've developed a uh, really unique, cool curriculum on how uh, to share uh, the skills of getting what you want. 
I love it. Um, how much of a challenge or how much of a shift has happened to just even your perspective on positional power and influence over I'm in the room and I'm speaking loud and I'm at the head of the table and I'm wearing the tie and all that. So you'll do what I want. But the second I leave, maybe you will, maybe you won't. How, how has that shifted over the years? Do people demand more of a collaborative in this divisive world? Because you're right. Like I have somebody, oh, I wish for the good old days, but I could just tell people like what to do. I'm like, when was that, sir? I'm like, when were those infamous good old days? Are we at a place now from a leadership, bringing back to the business hat here, where it truly is about understanding influence beyond the illusion of positional power? Mm-hmm. You have to, because people, you, you can make them say yes, but the <laughs> magic is in how we then make that thing occur. Yeah. How do we put that into action? And what's changed is you, all, all these employees, all these people underneath you never had a voice. They never had a way to complain other than sitting in the break room, break room or, or with their friends. Right now, anybody can jump on social media and do it anonymously or have a voice or make complaints about a company, even under their own label. And is that regulated or is that considered somehow uh, okay it, it legally? So now you truly need people to buy in because it doesn't take much for someone to spill the company's secrets. And you can be a nobody at a big company. And I don't really care about you, but I care about what you know. I want to know the inner workings at this big company. And all of a sudden, you've now got a platform to speak. So leaders, you need people to follow you because they want to, because they believe in you and they want to buy in. And really, that's the way it should be. I mean, there's nothing manipulative about this. I want my tribe to follow me because they believe in what I'm teaching and what I'm saying. And in your business, and well, and I also, I really appreciate the transition. We'll get into a little bit. Your 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 TED talk speaks for heavy of your experience directly from working in the police force. Give us a little bit, like how long were you were you active in that space and the role that you played? Like, let's set the stage before we get lost in the business side of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I come from a bit of a different world. I worked in municipal law enforcement in the Chicago area since 2002. So I retired earlier this year with over 20 years of service, and uh, some of the highlights in that career. Um, I worked as a detective for uh, over five years. I worked as a hostage negotiator on a regional SWAT team for over seven years. I got promoted into the leadership ranks in my last seven years with my agency. I uh, took a couple promotions there and uh, left as the director of training. So I believe at my core, I'm a, a teacher, someone who really finds great joy in building others and bringing value to others and helping them be the best they can be, both in knowledge and skill building. So I did that for a few years at the end of that career. And then uh, over the last couple of years, I started transitioning in the world of professional speaking, and we developed the Negotiations Collective in early 2021 with Joanna and a few others. And now I'm out in the real world where I have to (laughs) earn my money, not just get the government paycheck and uh, having a great time sharing some of the things that I've learned and also learning from others along the way, some of their challenges and refining what we teach around negotiation. I appreciate that journey. It, it probably makes sense when you unpack it, but at the time it was a series of steps and that moved in different directions. Like my mm-hmm. life makes a lot more sense in reverse and sometimes it did in forward. <laughs> what were some of the things that hit you when you started having conversations in the business world coming from your world? I'm going, well, wait a second, this is the same, but this is different. Or wow, this really can have a huge impact and positivity in a world where it doesn't appear as life and death, but yet when we're under stress, life and death is subjective. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you that this there's the same level of stress there. There's oh, an immense pressure in the business world to get the job done and make the money and get these sales and, you know, do very well. And I wouldn't diminish that business negotiations is is any less impactful because we talk about, okay, this is life or death negotiations. You know, I've had that conversation with a guy who's got a gun to his head or a knife to his throat or whatever it might be. But when you're running a business, people's lives depend on you and your decisions. This impacts their ability to survive and provide for their family and their investments. And so many people, their their well-being is tied to the business's success. So I don't want to take away that importance of making sure that the decision-making at the top levels of leadership is really good and their ability to communicate, their ability to negotiate, their ability to um, find success is, is, is paramount. This is what's feeding the people who depend on these leaders. 
you mentioned in your TED talk that I loved about this state of crisis, this divisive nature that's being fueled, you know, push pull from that crisis, always feeling we're under load, under feeling, always feeling from hormonally that we're actually under, under attack, that divisive nature, how much is that diminishing our ability to be effective in any situation? Cause we're already coming in with the battle armor on. <laughs> right. And we're not having difficult conversations anymore as a society. I mean, maybe we need to in our professional world, but what happened to the dialogue in everyday society? And I think we're losing that skill. It's, it's easier just to cancel somebody or write them off as a bad person or one of them or irrational <laughs> the, or the, them, and, them and us, right? The them and us. Right. right that's yeah. right. You know, oh, that person's an extremist. We don't need to listen to them. We don't need to respond to what they're saying. We've lost our ability to think critically. And at the core of being a great negotiator is being a great listener. I remember going to the FBI class in 2007, and uh, I still remember some of the names of the FBI agents that were teaching us. It was so impactful because I wanted to go there, and they, in my mind, they were going to teach me the magic thing to say to make anybody do what you want them to do. This is the FBI hostage negotiation they have class, the su- right? They have a superpower, right? That's right, <laughs> yeah. right. And then, you know, my disappointment sets in when we're, all right, it's day two and we're doing listening exercises. It's day three, we're doing listening exercises. It's day five, guess what we're doing? We're doing more listening exercises. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm grown up. I'm an adult. I know how to listen. And as it turns out, they start teaching these skills of active listening and you realize Maybe we're not as good at this as we think we are. Well, I think there was a line, and I'm just going to keep quoting. I, that's the bad. That's the bad habit of me listening to this right before because <laughs> I've got all your talking points in my head. That just because we communicate doesn't mean we're good at it. <laughs> and right, that, that assumption, yeah, that assumption that just just because I drive doesn't mean I'm a good driver. Just because I write doesn't mean I'm a. I have an iPhone. It must be. I mean, I'm a good photographer. There's a lot of that going on. That and in this one, I've been really as I've been in business for many many years. I'm starting to get formulate like we don't teach people to negotiate. We don't teach how to communicate. We don't teach how to delegate. We don't, there's so many things that will teach you the technical prowess of your, of your role, but all the things that allow you to be functional seem to get left out or just assume that you're going to pick them up along the way. <laughs> right. And, and I think this younger generation struggles with some of the basics of communication. Yeah. And I see that even with my own kids, they spend a lot of time on technology and the conversations aren't there. The technology is very good. They can text me anything that they need. Yeah. Um, and I found that with our younger officers coming in, instead of teaching some of the technical skills, we spent a lot of time on communication. How do we connect not only in our words, but our nonverbals and the, all these pieces that make you successful when interacting with other people, particularly under stress? Let's talk about the dynamic. I love that you brought that up. Technology, as I reach, my phone is within arm's reach at all times. And I've got a million kind of this. I, I grew up flying planes. And you'd always do a scan. I find my world of communication is the same thing. I'm scanning LinkedIn. I'm scanning Instagram. I'm looking at my, my to see who's communicating me from where. In a negotiation, the old days, the, the Hollywood version, we all get in a room on each side of the table and we negotiate. I'm assuming that's not how it is anymore. Stuff happens offline. It happens online. It maybe happens on the phone. It happens in text. So let's get down to the brass tacks of I'm in a negotiation. I've got age groups from 25 to 55. We've got multiple platforms or multiple channels, if you will. One, I'm assuming that's just making it more difficult, but how do we tackle that as leaders, as just individuals that find ourselves in this multi-pronged coming at us from everywhere while being stressed? (laughs) Yeah, I think, first of all, let's negotiate on how we're going to negotiate. I mean, control the (laughs) process because we, we discussed that this is a strategy for you. Is this going to be on text message or email or phone call or Zoom chat or in person? And a lot of people don't even consider that these different methods or modes of communication all have ups and downs. And, you know, for example, I've got, um, I've got a bad poker face. Like you can, <laughs> you can read me pretty well. You know, if I find something funny, you're going to see me grinning and, you know, I'm like a six-year-old. So I know that sometimes there's a strategy for me to do something over the phone where I'm not going to reveal, Hey, you made me an offer well in excess of something that I would have accepted, 
I'm over here smiling and now I'm going to negotiate for more on top of that because I think I can get more. Whereas if you're seeing me face to face, you're going to be like, oh, we just blew it. We, we over offered. So you think about how we can use this to our advantage. And sometimes I want to see you face to face doing uh, detective work, interviews and interrogations. I wanted to see you face to face. I didn't want there to be a table in between us. I wanted to see you completely everything so I can study. I can study all the, the gestures, the facial expressions, these micro expressions, all these things, signs of discomfort, because your power in negotiation comes from information and options. It's not so much your tactics at the table. And yes, that's important. That's really, really important because that might be the last 2% that's going to get us over the hump to sign the deal. But I want you to be a powerful negotiator. And how am I going to get that if I'm just on text message or email? I'm not going to be able to see your reaction. And then, of course, we have all the, the misinterpretation that we get when we're just that one-dimensional communication. So move from text to phone to face-to-face, and now we're really uh, in a more powerful position if you know what you're doing. But I appreciate also taking ownership at the beginning of setting some of those guardrails and like, oh, hey, how do you like to communicate or, or you know, what are we agreeing to or not agreeing to? And I think sometimes mm-hmm. in a sales role or in a role when you're trying to get something from the other person, you're very quick to go, well, oh, if this works better for you, we'll just do that versus the balance between leading and following, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And, you know, how are you comfortable? You, you tell yeah. me what's what's good for you. And then maybe we work from there. Because truly, if there's a, a power dynamic where I, I'm the powerful one, it may, maybe it makes a difference. If you're coming to my office or I'm coming to your office or we're meeting at a neutral site, these are all things when we teach leadership that we make them consider and decide before they're even having these difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. So active listening is really active observation if I was going to change the words around a little bit, like, cause if only 7% is the words, you know, give or take the active listening is actually doesn't tell the whole story or am I just being too literal with the words? <laughs> no, for sure. And I think that it's time for the FBI to update the model that they teach. Uh, and I can say that I'm, I'm not an FBI. I was trained by them, have <laughs> yep. great respect for what they do and what they teach, but their model is 30 years old. It begins with active listening. And that's really, really important. But, we're not doing these conversations over the phone anymore. I mean, 50 years ago, we, everything was over the phone. That was the only option. I mean, how, <laughs> that's it, right? How many of us spend our entire lives doing video chat all day, every day now? I mean, it's so common because communication has evolved. And when we teach these eight skills of active listening, I tell them with a disclaimer, you can learn all of these. You can know what each one is, both knowledge and skill, and be very good at it. But it can still be completely ineffective if we're not doing it right because so much of what we understand is what we see and if there's a difference between what we see and what we hear i think we're going to default to believing what we see mm-hmm. so we have to make sure that we're consistent in the the nonverbals and make sure that if i'm asking the good questions and I'm leaning in doing the active listening that I'm not at the same time looking around the room, checking my watch and on my iPhone every two seconds. <laughs> that does send the old, uh, you know, you want to break rapport, just raise your hand and look at your watch. And the other person's like, Oh, I'm, do you have to go? Like, boom. It's like you just throw a landmine in the middle of the conversation. That's it. <laughs> it's just a small human gesture. How do you help and support leaders or individuals or humans or just we're messy and sometimes we're showing up with our narratives and our insecurities and all of our stories that are spinning around in our mind. My feeling is that without without that somewhat managed or under control, it's very hard to be an active listener. It's very hard to show up for that other person. But oftentimes we get in our own way from the stuff that we carried in from God knows where or when. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, isn't that the truth? I was just speaking yesterday in Houston, and I let off my talk with um, the the first tactic um, for leaders is to manage yourself first. Let's start right here, because I've been part of these tough conversations and and these difficult situations, and I want to come in. My goal is to influence the other person, to get them to move in the direction I want them to move, but I found out very early on that When you're doing it for real, it's not like sitting in the classroom. It's not like having a conversation when I'm hanging out on my couch. When we're under pressure, we act differently. We think differently. We behave differently. So let's begin by understanding that when the pressure's on, how am I going to behave? Am I able to still be as creative? Probably not. Am I thinking of 
these good questions? Am I hearing everything that I'm supposed to hear? We miss things when the pressure's on. So am I managing myself first? What triggers me? What can be done or said that's going to launch me into another world? And instead of trying to control the other person, let's begin by controlling ourselves and knowing that I'm going to get through this. And maybe I Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, what if I'm wrong? Are leaders willing to ask themselves that question? And all of a sudden, we become less directive and a little bit more curious. So I think that managing ourselves is a really, really great place to begin this process and make sure that I, I'm humble about it. What if, I, what if I'm wrong? What if I have incomplete information? What if I'm triggered? What if my position's changed? Am I open to accept that, all right, I used to believe this, but you know, maybe I'm evolving? Mm-hmm. In in the police force, did you have specific time? Like that sounds like meditation. It sounds like coaching. It sounds like self reflection. It sounds like a very deliberate path that some people take, some people don't. Always, I love to go back to a world where training and practice and prep was very key. Where oftentimes in the business world, we do five percent practice and ninety five percent action. Sometimes I knew friends in the military said, "Oh, we spend most of our time practicing for only a small degree of actually activity." So, did you have strategies or tactics that were put in place from a training protocol? to get better at managing yourself when you're in the police, when you're in the law enforcement environment? And what you said is right on. You have to train. And we've done 10 times more training exercises than actual hostage negotiation because the reality is it doesn't happen a lot in Canada and the United States. Hostage taking is not really a thing. Uh, So the reps and the uh, stress inoculation comes from realistic training scenarios. And we do reality-based training. It's not classroom stuff. We're actually doing it. And we put people on the other side and make these people sweat. You can come to our class. You can do our three-day advanced negotiation class right now. And without getting the work in and we build in these exercises because we're not just going to give you knowledge you have to involve yourself and build the skill and do these exercises so when you're done you have a balance of knowledge and skill and we do these scenarios over to allow you to practice and build the skills build that confidence and that's the only way i'm not going to get better at swimming by reading a book about it you have to actually <laughs> sooner or later you gotta involved. get you gotta get wet right scott <laughs> let's get into it right <laughs> How do, how do you I, up the stress? Because stress inoculation is key. I've done a lot of training in extreme environments and the good instructors are the ones that get you just almost frazzled and then they say go. <laughs> yeah, one of one of my favorite things is doing uh, these one-on-one scenarios where I'm going to role play and then we have the student who's across from me and then we have a, another coach off to my side who's going to work with them. But everybody else in the class is sitting around the circle and uh, we're in the middle. That'll do it. <laughs> and man, I do not want to be embarrassed in front of my peers. I And that's why people don't even raise their hand in classes because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to be called out. (laughs) And now you are literally in the center of the circle and just having them walk into that scenario, you can see the stress because everybody on the outside, they're grinning, right? Because they're leaning in, they're watching, they want to see what's going on. And they're not in the middle of the circle. (laughs) That's right. right? There's some some gratitude. Hey, I'm not in here. But that's also, they're getting value as well because they're studying, they're coaching, they're going to give some input when we call the timeout and give that break. So allowing people to experience this but then also it becomes really powerful that we're going to change the chairs we physically change those chairs and it's not where i'm then going to demonstrate how to have a difficult conversation i'll do some of that but it gives them that mindset that empathy mindset of wow now i'm in this other position Maybe I never thought of how they feel, how they see that. And that's just a, it's a monster mindset shift for that person to say, okay, now I'm thinking how they see it. I'm thinking, and, and I've never thought about that. And how many times are we so worried about my position and my talking points and what I need to get out that we don't really take the time to think maybe they see it differently or, or this is how they can see fairness or how they interpret uh, you know, some of these positions that we have. I love that you brought that. I did over the years, I've done uh, neuro training in NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And one of the things that stood out is, was the physical power of moving your chair, like switch it, like, and physically see the room from their perspective. I just want to make sure the audience caught that. It's not just, oh, we're switching chairs and changing roles. No, you're actually putting yourself into their place or their perspective or trying to empathize tactically at how they feel. And the physical nature of it is powerful. You can stay in the same chair. It's not. It's half the exercise if you actually move. <laughs> 
it's, it's wild. And people yeah. always say, I immediately felt differently. I immediately saw it differently. And really, not much has changed, but the everything's changed. <laughs> not much has changed, but, but everything's changed. Yeah. Because I think that it reveals the big point that it's not about you. You know, it's about the outcome that we're trying to achieve. And, you know, negotiation, it's not, a, I, I don't want to convince you what, what I believe I, it's not about being right. It's not about my ego. It's about getting to an outcome that's acceptable for us. That's really the measuring stick here. Is this an acceptable outcome? Can I get more? Is, is this where I want to be? Mm, so, so powerful. Curious. I got to float something out. I have a friend of mine who's also works in negotiation and he's like, I don't believe in win-wins. I think it's ridiculous. I talked to Joanna. She's like, no, I love win-wins and here's why I love it. And again, not to pit, but I love there's so many different theories and philosophies and we all have to explore what resonates for us. When you hear the concept of win-win in negotiations, does that resonate? Is it oversimplified? Is it, I don't know, I'm just playing with some words for the, for the fun of the chat. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess the only people who care about this verbiage are truly people in negotiations. I, I <laughs> think that it's, it's the negotiation God. dorks that, that worry <laughs> about the win-win. But I think where the problem is, we we all see that differently. We define that differently. Yeah. If you talk to 10 negotiators and say, hey, tell me what win-win is. Some people are going to tell you, you know what, that's naive to say that everybody wants you to win, that your negotiation partner or opponent, depending on how you look at it, cares if you win or not. We're just going to move the, the goalposts and, and make you feel like you've won. <laughs> yeah. um, when I negotiate, my, my mindset is we are going to win. And coming from my background, we don't have a choice. Yeah. I, I just simply can't say, well, it's okay to lose this one or it's all right to let the other side get away with a victory. I think that it's important that, that yes, we always win, but to develop more than just a one-off agreement between you and I, you have to feel like you're getting value too. And I think that's where truly the great negotiators find success that there is something in this for me and there's something in this for you. And because we're working together, we can achieve something that we couldn't independently. Mm -hmm. And we reveal these opportunities for value. So if that's what win-win is defined as, then sure, I'm, I'm for it because we're each getting something more. We're each, we're each becoming greater than we were previously. Um, but, but I know that, that people, they, they slam that to say, you know what, you're, you're naive. You're giving it away. You know, you shouldn't care about the other person. I know there's negotiation training groups yeah. out there that say, just come in, you just make demands and, and make demands and make demands. You know, I, I don't agree with that perspective because we're dealing with people. We're not dealing with machines. And I, I know we're coming up into the world of AI, right? Where people are saying, yes, well, we are. we're just going to negotiate with artificial intelligence to get the very best deal. And I'm going to propose to you that that could happen. You know, we, we certainly have the capability to say, okay, we're going to get the best price by having a reverse auction or however this is going to work. But this is not how we want to function because as soon as you pair me up with a person or a company or a group that this is the best deal, both in, in what they have to offer the quality and the price, and I don't like them, it's over. It's I'm going to say, I'm never going to use this process again because I don't like you. And we don't, we do business with people that we like, and I'm going to propose people are willing to spend more money and get a little bit worse of a deal to work with people that they enjoy working with that are going to make them feel good because we don't make decisions by, you know, what do you think about that? We make decisions based on how we feel. Emotions drive decision-making. So I, I think we could probably get to that procedural process, but that's not where we want to be as people. I really think you touched on something depending on what you're negotiating or what you're selling or buying, you will end up working with that organization afterwards. And if somebody feels like they got taken advantage of or, or mistreated or just like you acted like an asshole, that really, there's no winning. That's the old Dale Carnegie. The best argument is not getting into one. It's like, you can't win an argument because even when you win, you lose because you shouldn't have got into it in the first place. But, you know, thinking back to your TED talk, seek first to understand when I take a win-win and I take it apart, you know, sometimes even those situations that you you allude to in the in the in the TED talk around life and death situations, understanding what is a win for that person, being heard, being able to walk out of the room alive. Not, but if you walk in with this predetermined notion, which is one of the stories you shared of what you think a win is to them, oof, that's you're already off on well down the wrong path. <laughs> right, and 
It's some people see this as well. I'm familiar with this. This is the the seven habits: seek first to understand, then to be understood. No, that's not what I'm saying mm-hmm. at all. I just want to understand because in crisis negotiation, I don't want to be understood. In fact, I don't even want to be there. I'm going to get into this conversation with somebody where they get to make this decision. We're really going to give this give them the autonomy to do that because it's not about me. I'm not going to come in and say, well, you should do this. You should do that. Nobody wants to hear what we should be doing. That's, that's an autonomy trigger for me. I'm going to walk them through the process and just kind of become uh, a a trusted uh, coach along the way. And I'm going to ask good questions and allow them to make that decision because they can agree to the decision and say, yeah, you know, I, I should do that. Or, you know, yeah, you're right. But ultimately, they have to put it into motion and choose to actually make that happen. So I just, I, I've had the bad outcomes. You know, I've had the negotiations that have failed. And it's it's catastrophic when I'm doing it at this level in SWAT life or death negotiations. It's It's really bad. So we have to make sure that we're not making the mistake by saying it's about me. It's about what I think and what I what I believe is right for you. I just need to continue to be curious and find out what is driving this person at this time. And uh, a lot of times, you know, I found that in these moments where people are really low and they're struggling, uh, and even the same in business, a lot of times people don't know what they want. Hmm. What is it you really desire here? You're overwhelmed with this emotion, this grief, this intensity, this anger. But are we asking them the important question, what is it you really want here? And sometimes that stops them to say, you know what, I'm not sure what I really want here. You know, what does success look like? And once we give them the the freedom to process this and think this through, now we're having yet an, a, another conversation because now we're not talking about the emotion that we're experiencing at the time. We're starting to look forward. And if we can keep people looking forward, then we know, okay, we, the door is open here. We still have the opportunity to find success. And what I'm really hearing in the underpinning of so much of what you're saying is the humanity of all this, of the fact that these are two humans. It's not AI and it's not a chatbot. It's another human that has desires and history and baggage and stories. And we all are coming together sometimes one, for one instant, for one event, you know, and I, I appreciate it even in business. Oftentimes I have time to think I'm going to go do a sales call with Scott. So I'm going to think about doing it. You get a call in a SWAT environment. You're in an environment that afternoon that you had no thought of being in that morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what an advantage in, in the business world, in business negotiations, I know for days, weeks, and months, we're going to have a meeting with this potential client. We're going to be sitting down to hammer out this contract. You've got all the time in the world to prepare, and yet people are not preparing. They think, <laughs> well, we're going to talk about this, or you know, we know their mission statement. Like, Get into it. I want to know everything about that company, that person, that team. You become so much more powerful when you prepare and then practice actually get there and practice red team it get somebody on the other side who's going to start poking holes in your ideas and your beliefs it's it's such an advantage when you don't just show up blind and say okay in 10 minutes you're going to be on the phone with somebody get there right now go so for you quick checklist you you've already laid out a few of them you're you know you've got a quote unquote and i'm going to call it a difficult conversation because that makes it gives it some weight right I'm getting ready. I got my checklist. I've got a couple of weeks. What, what does that look like for you? From a, like, what's prep look like? If I was, if someone's sitting here with their pencil in their hand right now, ready to look at us, looking for us to give them some notes. <laughs> sure. So let's let's start with with our side. What what do we want? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to achieve here? And we can jot down some of some of the things we like, and those are our positions. But let's get to our interests. What what do we want to come away with? Mm-hmm. Um, is this a one time deal? Is this something that we're looking to expand? Is there opportunities in front of us to continue to work with this person? And I think that's going to kind of frame how this conversation is going to go. And I would let let me even pause on that. If this is a one off thing. There's no such thing, because even though you and I may be having this one-time deal, you're always going to remember how that went. So the referrals are going to come, the testimonials are going to come, and you are going to be our best advertiser if you believe in what, what we just did. So let's begin with ourselves and map out what is it we desire here? What is it we want and how are we going to go about doing that? 
Um, what is our walk away position? Let's be very clear on that because if you don't have a walk away position, you are not negotiating. This is not a negotiation. This is a hostage taking and they're just going to take everything they want from you. They're just going to continue to use you because they're, you're, you're this accommodator, negotiator, where you just keep giving, giving, giving. So we have to be firm. We are not going past this point here. So once we set up the parameters of what we want, now we're going to start exploring on how this is going to go. Uh, let's develop the questions that we're going to ask. And I think good questions create dialogue. And it's not about a, a monologue where I'm talking, talking, talking. Let's get creative. Let's have this conversation. And here we're going to reveal the interests of the other side by developing some really good questions. And if not, it's going to show me what you're protecting, what questions you don't want to ask, what areas you don't want to get into. And that's valuable for me. I'm really curious. Why don't you want to reveal this? What about this area here is not uh, something you're, you're going to get into? So developing your questions, learning about the history, finding else, uh, finding out who else these people have worked with. It's funny how many people I know that will reach out to me and go, oh, I really appreciate your podcast because before I go on a sales call, I scan your list to see if you've had the, any of the people I'm meeting with on. I go listen to it and then I have something to talk to them about. I get that feedback right. actually, more often than I would have thought when I put it out there to, to the world, especially being that you know, Western Canada or Calgary. It's a fairly small one degree of uh, separation kind of mm -hmm. world. And we also live in a world where we're all putting information out there for people to find. It's not hard to do quote unquote research. It is. And I think that because of that, I come into negotiation and sometimes if, if people are coming to me, like I come off almost intentionally cold that, mm. you know, if they've done their homework on me, they know that I'm very relational, that I've been trained in, in all the, the warmth and connection. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm just going to throw them off a little bit. And, and it's all techniques, you know. For the people who say, well, you're trained in negotiation like this, why would you study this? It's all the different tools to do the job. I have 10 different ways to get the job done. Maybe if this isn't working, we're going to try this technique and then try this mm -hmm. technique. So sometimes I'll come off a little bit cold just to see uh, just, if it's going to throw off their game a little bit. This is not what this is not who I was expecting. That's right. When you're in your training environments and when you're working with different groups, like just the words you use right there, you know, I'm trained in warmth. <laughs> There's people might go, oh, that doesn't feel good. That feels manipulative. That feels like I'm somehow being, uh, you know, and I think Joanne and I had a little bit of chat of this about where's the ethics line and how do you understand what are tactics and what's effectiveness versus like, oh, that doesn't feel good for me, maybe at a values level. How much does that play into people? Because with training, you probably get a real mix of people in the room. Well, not, sure. not probably hundred percent you do <laughs> for sure. And when we're working with accountants, that's different from engineers and those groups might be very different from human resources. Yeah. I was working with a human resources audience yesterday. And when we did an exercise, all the responses were very people oriented. Yeah. You know, we talk about the brain things in the concrete and the abstract, the abstract thinkers are usually a little bit more warmth and connecting the concrete thinkers. They're just giving you like it is they're, they're going to rattle off. Here's the facts. And uh, you have to realize that I'm not teaching. This is the absolute way you have to do it. I'm going to give you a framework. I'm going to give you a structure that you can use, some principles that I think we should adhere to. But how you're going to go about that is going to be up to you. I want this to be authentic to how you are. So many people get angry when I tell them, I'm not going to teach you what to say. I'm going to give you some suggestions on maybe some words you can use or some questions, but what you are saying, it has to be authentic to you because as soon as I sense that something is not genuine, that there's some level of deception here, I'm done. We are, I'm immediately done with you and your group if there's a level of deception, because if I sense it right now, what am I missing and how far is this going to go? So it's not, I, I think when we start talking about the, the warmth and, and that fuzziness, manipulation is trying to get you to do something because I want you to do it. Yeah. I want you to do something because it's good for you, because you're getting value out of it. And at some point, this person that you're manipulating, if that's how you're going to go about doing your business, they're going to figure it out and they're going to realize that you just did something pretty bad that was in your best interest, not theirs. And now you got a problem. Because 
if this is still in process, yes, they agreed to it, but they're going to do a lousy job. It's going to be late. It's not going to be done quality work, and they're going to badmouth you every chance they get. So I think there is, yeah. it's not just a strategy, but it's the right way to do it to make sure that you are getting something that you want from this too, and that you fully agree and understand what we're entering into in this agreement. Yeah, it's like manipulation. It feels like if, if you if it worked, you get to do it once. You never get. It, rarely do you get to do it with the same individual twice because they go, "Wait a second, that doesn't feel right. I don't like that. I feel shitty." Right. <laughs> um, and, who, who, and your credibility is in trouble yeah. because people talk, and we know the person out there who's a manipulator, and the credibility is gone because you see them doing it with with these other folks over here. Don't even talk to me. Yeah, no doubt. Who do you typically work with? Like when, like you know, when you're in Houston or picking. I know you do a lot of speaking, but when you're doing the, the negotiations training, bigger companies, smaller companies, more. What I'm asking, curious is who's who's getting it and who's investing in this because it is an investment for organizations to learn this, right? For sure. And for the keynotes, it's a lot of these associations, the mm-hmm. the big annual conference, these internationally conference events that they have. Uh, so that's where we're doing keynotes. With our coaching, it's one on one, where sometimes it's a solopreneurs or sometimes it's people within the company who are looking to move up. They just okay. want to up their skills, knowledge, ability. Uh, but with the, the trainings that we do, uh, a lot of times it's the companies who will bring us in to say, hey, we want to train our sales team in this. We want to train our leadership team in this. And when we're working with the companies, I say, I want to build a culture of connection. I want to build a culture of negotiation. And we teach them how to engage in conflict resolution respectfully and Conflict is going to happen. You're going to have these different departments, these different divisions, and everybody says the same thing. We have this conflict internally. That's not bad because you all are, you have interests and you're trying to get this and you're trying to get this competing interest. That's okay. Um, But then how do we engage? That's the question next. And we bring in a framework to say, if we all have this mindset that we are going to respect, we're going to understand our reaction. We are going to get into resolving this using these different techniques. All right. A, a lot of these hurt feelings, a lot of these uh, triggers are going to be gone because we're understanding the same language. And I think that's really a, a, a very exciting piece for us that we can change a culture because then we can come back to or, or they and their company can go back to. All right. We went through this process. Are we continuing to follow this or are, are we branching out on our own? And if we get that commitment of everybody inside, we're, we're changing how companies operate. They're going to get more. They're going to make more money. They're going to retain more employees. They're going to attract more employees. I, I think it's it's the right way to do business. From the companies that you work with, I'm I'm assuming this seems obvious. The companies that go, oh, we did a three day, we're good. We've got the training. Versus keeping this going, keeping it top of mind. I, I'm only going to assume. I'm deleting my own answer. How important it is to like this isn't a one and done. This is an ongoing practice. Keep it. And plus, <clears throat> new people join and, and old people and people leave your organization. I find often we do these trainings, and then six months later, there's new people and they didn't take the training. <laughs> How, how critical right. is that to really embed it in the culture, as you said? Right. And as much as I dislike the virtual space, what this allows us to do is we can give our different modules modules of training. Okay, we're doing two hours this week, and the next week yeah. we're coming back to do the next two-hour module. And we can space this out over four or eight weeks, and, and we're giving you these little bits of training rather than dumping, here's a, a two-day seminar And it's something you'll never think of again, bit by bit. And we call this our habit formation series, where we come back and, all right, in a month, we're going to come back and touch on this again. And then we offer the annual refresher training to say, all right, we're coming back on this and have this discussion. Give examples of you using this or where you could have used this or where you use it and it didn't work. And let's have that discussion and see if we need to sharpen this up a little bit or if we've forgotten some of these skills. And a lot of times when we come back to it, people will give a, oh, yeah, you know, that's that's right. And they'll remember this as we go on. So I agree with you that um, the training is a much longer process. I love doing the keynotes. I love getting up there and hitting them, giving the good stories, good impact. But then it's over. So we balance that with some, the individual coaching where we're growing this individual or growing this group. And, uh, it it makes for some very satisfying work. The keynotes are fun. It's high energy, but you're right. If you really want to create change, there's more frequency required in your experience. 
top-down department level, the executive is behind this, so the whole organization gets on board, or you know, a, a team or a division of a company goes, you know what, this is important to us. They really own it. I'm assuming there's all kinds of dynamics, but have you seen a formula? And I've got a lot of business owners at all different sizes that listen to the show. So how do we make something like this stick? Because change management is real. Uh, organizational fatigue and new idea fatigue is also real, uh, especially these days as we're getting hit from every side. What have you seen work the best? I think that if we come in and we have a product that's engaging, where people want to do this, I think the bar is set so low right now for corporate training that there's stale training people reading their PowerPoints and (laughs) and it's very boring that if we can begin by offering an engaging product, that right there is going to get some buy-in because we know that there are people in this training, in this meeting with us who don't want to be there. They didn't choose to be there. And and I've probably been that person myself where I'm going to another nonsense training. I can't believe this. (laughs) And all of a sudden, it's it's a bit of a surprise to say, you know what? This is enjoyable. It's engaging me. I, I don't even care about the content right now. I'm just grateful I have somebody up there who's telling stories and connecting with me and working not to just read their script. So let's begin right there. Have a product that is engaging that people might actually enjoy because once you have their attention, then you can deliver the message effectively. And that's the same technique that we use in negotiation. No, no when once to deliver. You have their technician, <laughs> you hit it. And when we do that in training, now we get that buy-in to say, okay, this is interesting. And sometimes my acknowledgement of saying, I don't know what you do. I, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a project manager. I haven't been in your shoes, but let me share with you how it's worked for me. And now we're starting to have that conversation to say, well, here's how it might look like for us to acknowledge, okay, I have some limits and what I can teach in my experience. And then it becomes about them and we're creating this thing together. So know that it's, it's okay to come in with a bit of a skeptical mindset. It's okay to say, you know, I'm not really sure about this, but having that open mind to say, Am, am I going to accept a, a new idea? Am I willing to even hear this without writing this off? And so often we just say, you know what, I, I know what I know, and this is what we've done, and this is where I'm comfortable. Am I comfortable getting uncomfortable? Am I willing to try something new? And uh, and I think that this is this has been this has been successful for us. And then the the people in the companies they're going to look around and say, okay, people are on board. People have people are willing to try this. And then they become good at it. And that's where we really, really see the movement. Because at first, I'm, I'm not good at it because it's new and it's uncomfortable. But when they start to find that success, the very first time they use that technique or use this strategy or structure and process, and they get a good outcome, hey, it's like I, ma- I magic. Yeah, it magic. works, right? And then it just feeds itself to say, hey, come on back. I, wanna, I want more because I've tried it and it works. And that's where that habit formation, we do it week after week after week and challenge them. Hey, I want you to try this. Try one technique we talked about today and go and do this. And when they find those successes and victories, then we get the, the huge organizational changes. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I love the honesty of just saying, no, I'm just actually comfortable doing it this way. And that is scary to me to do it a new way. But we're not often wanting to be vulnerable enough to even admit that, especially in a room of our peers, and maybe not even often to ourselves. <laughs> that's a, that's a sure. much broader conversation. Circling all the way back to maybe even our first conversation a little bit, listening into your, into your, into your TED Talk around just a world in crisis, a world of polarity, a world of I must villainize. It's us versus them. And it seems to be amping. It seems to be getting worse. We've, you know, people that never had a, a, a soapbox now have a soapbox called social media. Your thoughts on just, you know, we're talking big, broad philosophical uh, side here, but where, where's the breaking point of all that? Because it feels like it's not making anybody better or anybody happier or not adding any more joy to our world. But yet it seems to be kind of an idea on fire right now. <laughs> And this is where the people who are going to be successful in this world are going to differentiate themselves from everyone else. Yeah. Well, everyone is in the drama, in the nonsense, in the Twitter, banging each other back and forth. The the real thought leaders and the people who are going to find success are going to be willing to listen to different ideas. They're going to be opening open to hearing things very, very different from how they think or how they believe and know that I can hear this thing and still be okay with who I am and and what I believe. 
But also, I think that we misunderstand change. That we think, okay, I'm going to be talking today to Tyler, to whoever I'm going to be having a conversation with, and I'm going to convince him right now, right here, to change his perspective on a long-held belief. And that's not how people change and evolve. We are going to set the seeds to say, all right, today, I just want you to, to hear this perspective, and I'm not going to ask you to change. I'm not going to say, hey, you have to come and believe what we believe over here. And know that maybe it's tough for people to accept that maybe I've grown. What I thought 10 years ago is not what I think today. And it's okay. It's really okay for us to evolve and change our position. But where the pressure is at is this tribalism that we see to say, you can't talk to those people. You can't watch that news channel. You are not one of us. And do you have the confidence? Do you have the strength to be able to stand up and say, you know, I'm okay. I don't need your validation. I, I still believe some of these things. We still have this relationship. And believe it or not, we can have relationships with people who are very different from us. In fact, I don't want a whole bunch of Scots in my world because life would be very boring. <laughs> I can we only handle one, tacos. Tyler. I can only handle one. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's so predictable. I would have the same meal every day. It would be boring. So, you know, why not? Why not have these different perspectives and have this open mind and say, hey, you know what? I never thought of it that way. And the people who are doing this with data, facts, and figures are, are getting it wrong. You know, share your story. Share your impactful story in each one of us. Every one of your listeners out there right now has a story. And share that. And that's it, – it's tough to argue with. This is what I've experienced. This is what I have gone through. And if more people could see some of the, the challenges that I had, maybe I wouldn't have to go through that situation. And that puts the brakes on a lot of people right away to say, oh, okay, I can't argue with that. I can argue yeah. with numbers and be like, oh, you know, where did this come from? Who's your sample size? And give you a hard time there. But you hear someone's personal story, it slows you down a little bit. Yeah, it's hard to argue with. Well, in my experience, this is how it unfolded for me. Uh, that can trigger me all day long, but it's, it's your story. And it's for me to take from right. it versus try to, to run over it because it makes me feel insecure. Scott, I love it. We had some tactics. We had some philosophy. We had some hard-earned lessons learned. Uh, I really appreciate your candor and clearly your passion for this topic. I've often be been accused of being very enthusiastic about the things I talk about. And I would I would happy to invite you into that group. <laughs> Speaking of tribal, let's get into the tribe of enthusiasm for what we do and what we believe in. So kudos to you on that. I loved it. Mm. Uh, but you have to because what you are doing right now is changing lives. And I believe that. We People are tuning in because they want to be better. You are bringing that to them. You're allowing them to think critically about themselves. How do I operate? And this is how we find success, to continually challenge ourselves to find greatness. Oh, I love it. Mic, mic drop moment. Scott, what's the best way, aside from your TED Talk, which I've been, I, I couldn't rant about uh, more, but uh, The Secrets of Hostage Negotiators with Scott Tilma on TEDx. Uh, is it Na Naperville? Naperville? Yeah, right outside Chicago. It was, oh, okay, right, uh, on right outside Chicago is where it was. Yeah, nice. it was great. So, yeah, certainly invite your out. audience to, to check that out. Um, scotttillema.com is where you can find me. Negotiationscollective.com is where you can find my business. But I would like to connect. If there's people that are listening in and this makes sense, I want to connect with you. So find me on LinkedIn and, and send me a message. Say, hey, I heard you on the podcast. And we're going to have a real conversation. I manage my own account and I love connecting with people and we'll have a chat. Thanks for putting that out there. I really love it. And thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute honor and a privilege, and it was really good to get to know you. So thank you for the time. You as well.